Following reports that the U.S. would force China to divest from its interests in TikTok, Donald Trump has upped the ante and in a major breaking story announced that he will ban TikTok from operating in the U.S. and it could happen as early as today. Now, for those that aren't familiar, TikTok is a popular and fast growing social media app where young people dance to music, lip sync and produce silly viral videos. You may be wondering why Donald Trump will ban the app then because they've been accused of stealing information from American users, even from other apps, and sending it to the Communist Party of China. They've also been accused of producing communist Chinese propaganda about the Xinjiang region. This has everything to do with the ongoing oppression of the Uyghur Muslims. But following these reports, even other U.S. politicians, including Democrats, have been a bit freaked out. Many politicians have been instructing their staff to abandon the app entirely, delete it from their phones. And recently, Joe Biden did just this. All of this with TikTok has to do with the ongoing Cold War with China. Some news outlets say we are either entering a Cold War where others say we are in a Cold War. And some, yes, even say we are on the verge of a full scale war with China. Just yesterday, Donald Trump announced sanctions on China, uh, on the Xinjiang paramilitary group. It's a region where they are oppressing the Uyghur Muslims and putting them in concentration camps. These are very serious issues, and we need strong leadership right now to deal with what China has been doing, not just in Xinjiang, but also in Hong Kong. You've probably heard me talk a lot about it. But of course, what are we seeing from the fancy blue check lefties on Twitter? Why they argue Donald Trump isn't actually taking action against TikTok because it's a tool of the Chinese Communist Party. They're saying Trump is just mad because TikTok users pulled a prank on him and hurt his rally in Tulsa, which is the most ridiculous thing ever. Yet still, TikTok users are freaking out, upset that their careers and livelihoods could be totally destroyed. There is a light at the end of the tunnel for these people. Trump might not actually ban TikTok. I mean, he's talking about it, but there are rumors that TikTok will still sell to a U.S. interest, notably Microsoft. And some of the higher ups at TikTok are literally saying we will not be going anywhere. And some are questioning whether or not Trump could even shut down a company operating in the U.S. I'm not a lawyer, not necessarily. I'm not a, I'm not a legal expert, but I believe the president can shut down TikTok in some form or another due to their being owned by China. And they are. They are being this app is being used as a weapon against us as tensions escalate between the US and China. People have been warning for years that war is coming and hopefully it's not true. But if it is, don't expect to see this traditional historic view of what war looks like. It will be fought in our minds with propaganda tools and things like TikTok, in which case expect to see more action from the president like this. Naturally, as tensions flare up, China will be seeking to exploit our laws. They're buying up our property. They're infiltrating various institutions in our country. And Mike Pompeo has said they have, in, they have infiltrated every level of our government. We will not be fighting a war in the traditional sense. This is a new kind of world. Information and propaganda will be key to winning. So, of course, this is what you can expect to see. But first, let's read exactly what's going on. And then I want to talk to you about why it's happening. Perhaps some of you are watching this because you're a young person who uses the app and you don't understand 
why Donald Trump and the U.S. government would shut down TikTok. Perhaps someone told you it's because Trump is just mad. Not true. November 29th, they said it was producing Communist Party propaganda while they are literally putting Muslims in concentration camps. It is a true horrifying atrocity. This is why Donald Trump is taking action. Now, let's read this. But before we do, head over to TimCast.com slash donate. If you'd like to support my work, there are many ways that you can give. I got a P.O. box if you'd like to send stuff. But the best thing you can do is subscribe to this channel. Seriously, about half of the people who watch my videos aren't even subscribed. So if you do like my videos, think I do a good job, hit that subscribe button, hit the like button and the notification bell. And if you really like my videos, please consider sharing them to help spread the word. The Hill reports in a massively viral video, uh, viral post, Trump says he will ban TikTok from operating in the U.S. with 53,000 shares. This is massive. President Trump on Friday said he plans to ban the social media platform TikTok from operating in the U.S. As far as TikTok is concerned, we're banning them from the United States, Trump told reporters aboard Air Force One. The president said he could use emergency economic powers or an executive order as early as Saturday to officially ban the Chinese owned company from the U.S. He signaled he was not supportive of allowing an American company to acquire TikTok. A TikTok spokesperson responded to Trump's threat by citing the U.S. investment in the involvement with the app, including roughly 100 million American users and nearly 1000 people hired to the company's U.S. team this year. I'm going to stop right there and just tell you, man. When we went to war with Germany, yeah, a lot of people lost money. You're going to cry about it? Sorry. When, when you have atrocities happening in China or, say, in Germany, sorry, you're going to lose money, but we're going to put an end to it. And all, all Trump is doing right now is saying this company, you can't operate in the U.S. Here's a quote. They say, TikTok U.S. user data is stored in the U.S. with strict controls on employee access. TikTok's biggest investors come from the U.S., the spokesperson said in a statement. We are committed to protecting our users' privacy and safety as we continue working to bring joy to families and meaningful careers to those who create our platform. I'm going to tell you what this is. China is exploiting our weaknesses, notably capitalism. For all of the benefits that capitalism has wrought, China knows that they can hire American interests who will then fight for their financial interests and say, no, no, don't ban the app. Are you crazy? And all of these users of the app are going to say, don't ban it. We love TikTok. Meanwhile, the app is producing communist propaganda for the Chinese Communist Party. They say Trump's announcement came hours after reports that Microsoft was in talks to purchase TikTok from Beijing based ByteDance. That report emerged around the same time news outlets reported that Trump was considering signing an executive order requiring ByteDance to divest the U.S. portion of TikTok because of concerns that the company may be giving sensitive U.S. data collected through the app to the Chinese Communist Party. TikTok has become wildly popular with young people and has hundreds of millions of users worldwide. The app often allows users to watch and create short videos. The app literally, literally does that. The videos often go viral across other social media platforms. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo made similar comments earlier this month, announcing that the Trump administration was considering banning Chinese apps, including TikTok, because of national security interests. The Treasury Department's Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States opened an investigation into ByteDance last year, 
while the House approved legislation last week banning the use of TikTok on federal devices. In fact, Joe Biden told his staff to delete TikTok from their personal and work phones. The DNC has already warned against using the app, and that was several days ago. So you've got bipartisan support here. Joe Biden won't let his staff use it. Other members of Congress and our federal government have said straight up, don't use the app. And we know that they have been producing propaganda. Okay, they've been accused of it. But check out this story from November 29th. I'm going to start with this before I go into greater detail on what's going on. Microsoft might, might buy the app. TikTok might not get banned. But you need to understand the severity of, of, of the circumstance and why they want to ban the app. Business Insider reported November 29th. Report claims TikTok parent company ByteDance is working with China's Communist Party to spread propaganda on Xinjiang. They say, the report titled Mapping More of China's Tech Giants, AI and Surveillance, looked at the way major Chinese tech companies were involved in state-sanctioned surveillance and censorship using artificial intelligence packaged as popular apps and websites. ByteDance, the parent company of the viral video sensation TikTok, was mentioned in the report alongside other major Chinese tech companies, including Huawei, Tencent, and Alibaba, many of which ASPI wrote are engaged in deeply unethical behavior in Xinjiang, where their work directly supports and enables mass human rights abuses. Okay, I'm going to stop right here. For all of you who may be watching because you use TikTok, because you have an account there, would you be willing to make money off of the backs of concentration camps, which literally exist right now? If you had the choice to stand up to these atrocities and it meant you would lose your TikTok, would you, would you do the right thing? It's a very important question. It's what's happening right now. Instead, what do we get? Blue checky leftist journalists saying Trump's just mad that he got pranked by K-pop fans. Not true. I really doubt Trump cares. People are posting videos where they're like freaking out saying you got to follow me somewhere else. People are jumping ship to other apps. And I hate to say it, man. I understand many of you may have worked hard to build up a big following. But I'll tell you this. If it turns out that I knew YouTube was doing something that was facilitating mass atrocities, they aren't, <laughs> I hope, then I would absolutely, absolutely give up everything, all the followers. And I, just tell your fans, follow you somewhere else. You should not be enabling this. They say China has been accused of running detention centers and forced labor camps in Xinjiang. Yeah, it's a bit worse than that, Business Insider. They've acknowledged the existence of some re-education camps, but has repeatedly denied reports of abuse at its facilities. We have footage of people with shaved heads being loaded onto trains. And when asked about it, China's like, oh, I don't know what this is. Oh, oh, don't ask me. Oh, heavens. We know they're doing it. It's not just reports from the US. It's across the world. People, these, the, the Uyghur Muslims are facing serious atrocities in concentration camps. They're sterilizing people. They're stealing their organs and selling them. They tried to sell the hair of these people to the US and this, this, this stuff was seized. So you need to understand people are taking this very, very seriously. Vox wrote in December, what's going on with TikTok, China and the US government? They say the wildly popular video apps ties to China are prompting some US users and politicians to panic. They say over the past year and a half, TikTok, where under 60 second videos often feature bizarre memes, inside jokes and bite sized sketch comedy has has been the defining social media app of Gen Z not only in the US, but around the world in places like India and Europe. Though it originated in, as Musical.ly, 
a nearly identical app known mostly for lip syncing and popular uh, uh, lip syncing and popular with preteens. In 2017, the Chinese internet company ByteDance bought the app and relaunched it as TikTok, with all Musical.ly accounts migrating over to TikTok. This is where we're at right now. India has already banned the app outright. Japan has reportedly done the same. I don't know if they've, they've actually done it yet. There have been US reports they are planning to. But TikTok is trying to avoid getting banned. So here's the good news for all of you who use the app. Daily Mail reports TikTok scrambles to find a buyer for its U.S. arm to placate Trump after he threatened to ban the Chinese app. As its defiant manager says, we are not planning on going anywhere and stand with TikTok. I can respect this to a certain degree. He said, uh, so this is from Vanessa Pappas. We're not, go- we're not planning to go- on going anywhere. When it comes to safety and security, we're building the safest app because it's the right thing to do. We are so proud of all the various communities who call TikTok home, Papa said, urging the app's millions of users to stand for TikTok. Now this I'm not super excited by. You have atrocities going on in China. I understand you don't want to see your company go down in flames. You don't want to lose your job. You don't want to lose your followers. You don't want to lose the people you follow. But at a certain point, we have to recognize the world is not a perfect place of candy cane, Skittles and rainbows that really horrifying things happen. And sometimes hard times hit. You can't just assume that everything you've had will always be there for for too long. We've been living in essentially this golden age where we've we've just assumed nothing bad will ever happen. But it does and it can. And because of what China is doing, it may mean you lose access to an app you really like. But I got to say, man, it's the right thing to do. If they can divest, then perhaps that's the right move. Tiny uh, TikTok's Chinese owner offers to forego stake to clinch U.S. deal, according to sources. This is reporting for, for uh, reporting from Reuters. China's ByteDance has agreed to divest the U.S. operations of TikTok completely in a bid to save a deal with the White House after President Donald Trump said on Friday he had decided to ban the popular short video app, two people familiar with the matter said on Saturday, cross your fingers for this. I believe this is the appropriate uh, move here. Yesterday it was reported. I talked about they were planning on selling their interests to the U.S. There are some serious big tech concerns. Microsoft is in talks to acquire TikTok as U.S. considers banning the app. This is good news. Okay, it means the jobs will remain the users will remain. The economy of TikTok will stay. Many users have become famous and they make good money through TikTok. There are many other apps that function similar, similarly to TikTok that have that, you know, have gone under. But this has created a space where people can flourish. If it stays, everyone will be happy. So here's my advice once again to all of you big fans of TikTok. Consider, consider this. You should be advocating for the sale to a U.S. interest. Otherwise, it'll get the axe. Now here for this. Now, now let's move to the stupid part. The stupid part is where people are trying to save TikTok by claiming Donald Trump wants to ban the app simply because they hurt his feelings. If you go this route, you will lose. Whether or not it's true, Trump will ban the app. How about you say we understand the threat posed by the Communist Party of China? Please allow the app to be sold so the jobs can remain. It'll help an American company and it'll help all of those who use the app. CNN reports everyone is going cray cray. TikTok users freak out over possible U.S. ban. Late Friday night, Trump announced it. 
Everyone is live right now. Ehi Omigi, who has about 25,000 followers on TikTok, said in a live stream. Others were strategizing ways to get around the ban, including trying to trick servers to make it look like they're browsing from a different country where TikTok is allowed to operate. Do not panic. Do not panic. One user repeated several times in a video. Do not panic yet. Do not panic right now. As far as TikTok is concerned, we're banning them from the US, Trump said. The president's threat to shut down the platform also comes a month after a stunt organized mainly through TikTok may have led to a sparsely attended Trump campaign rally in Tulsa. In the days leading up to the June 20th rally, a coordinated effort was underway on TikTok, encouraging people to register online for the free event and not show up. This is a fake narrative. You need to understand this. But they're absolutely rolling with it. Vogue writes, is Sarah Cooper the reason Donald Trump wants to ban TikTok? You know what, man? I think it's actually kind of scary that we are fighting against ourselves while dealing with the very serious threat to the world that is China. But sure, apparently this woman organized the effort, I suppose. But let me just start by saying Donald Trump put on this massive rally with a big outdoor area. They were expecting like they they sold, uh, not sold, but they registered like a million people. And then 6,500 to 7,000 people showed up. Trump disputes this, says it was around 12,000, but choose whichever number you want. The arena was not at capacity. All of a sudden, the narrative emerged from lefty journalists jumping up and down, patting themselves on the back, claiming that the reason no one showed up was because all of these TikTok users registered for tickets and then no one actually showed up. The only problem, that's not how registration works. It's first come, first serve. You can register for a ticket, but you get a seat if you're at the door. What really happened is that people didn't show up, had nothing to do with TikTok. Some people speculate the reason they got so many signups was because they sent out an email saying, if you support the president, sign up. Thus, their numbers were inflated and they overestimated how many people were actually coming. But the narrative persists among these journalists that this is what happened and it's not. Natasha Bertrand tweeted this out. Trump's threat to ban TikTok came a few weeks after reports that many TikTok users had tried to sabotage a Trump campaign rally by requesting tickets they never planned to use and coordinated a push to flood Trump's campaign app with negative reviews, as if to imply that's why Donald Trump is doing this. This makes me sick. Donald Trump is not banning TikTok because he had a bad event. That's ridiculous. They've been talking about the threat that TikTok poses because of the Chinese Communist Party of China, because of the Chinese Communist Party, of course, it's of China. We've known about the threat for a long time. It has nothing to do with this stupid event. When I saw this article from Vogue, I thought it was a joke. I kid you not. But they literally end by by saying, but if but it but, but is it only Sarah Cooper who has gotten under Donald Trump's skin? After all, when the crowd at his Tulsa rally was far smaller than uh, predicted, Teenagers with TikTok accounts, blah, blah, blah. I already told you this. Okay, I I made a mistake. This woman apparently just makes fun of Trump. That's why they're arguing he wants to ban TikTok because she lip syncs things Trump says. I'm willing to bet Trump has no idea who this woman is, but they say, oh, no, I signed up for a Trump rally and I can't go. One woman said, adding comically fake cough. Sounds like Donald Trump can't take a joke. This woman mocks Trump. And many people tried, uh, you know, tricking Trump's people or whatever. It's just not true. But here's the media trying to argue it is. Twitter blue checks blame Sarah Cooper and Tulsa humiliation for Trump's TikTok ban threat. 
please. Trump doesn't know who these people are, and he doesn't care. Trump has been talking about China for a decade or longer. And now we can see just how these journalists really view our prospects. From The New Yorker just a couple days ago, why Trump will never win his new Cold War with China. Was this article written by China? Yikes, man. Come on, have some optimism here. We're going up against a serious threat. How about this one from The Washington Post? There's no Cold War with China. And if there were, we couldn't win. Are you kidding me? Is that what they're trying to tell the American people? Apparently, the Washington Post is. First of all, there is a Cold War. Many people have been talking about it. And many people have warned of something called Thucydides Trap. I've said this word quite too many times at this point. We are dangerously close to a full-scale military conflict. China has been warned by their own security ministry to prepare for physical confrontation with the United States. There have been like there have been strike groups and there have been close encounters. China even lasered one of our surveillance planes, basically saying we are prepared to strike. China has argued that we're pushing the boundaries and we are escalating. And Trump just placed sanctions on Xinjiang's paramilitary group, which is considered to be a massive slap in the face to China, which will result in some serious escalation. And now we can see how NBC News thinks of it. The Chinese consulate closure and Pompeo's rhetoric could stoke war and no one objects. We are doddering toward conflict with a fellow nuclear power. How can our ruling class be so seemingly oblivious to the danger or so nonchalant about the risk? Let me just tell you, no one. Well, I think no one in government is being nonchalant about the risks. I think we know just how serious things are about to get. I have to say there is a light at the end of the tunnel, or I should say an open window as it pertains to the rioting and the pandemics. For one, since the pandemic and the rioting, people have begun leaving cities, thus decentralizing large portions of our economy. People have then started to buy up weapons in large numbers. Seriously, record sales. All of these things would fare uh, would, would uh, very well for us in the event of a very serious conflict. I do not believe that if we do enter a an actual hot war with China, that w- that it will involve some kind of ground invasion. I think we will see subversion. I think we will see terroristic attacks. There will be sabotage and there will be conflicts in the streets. Perhaps we are already in whatever this conflict could be. I've often talked about civil war, but maybe it's not really a civil war. Maybe it's just straight up war. I don't think China is going to engage in nuclear war. I don't think anybody wants to nuke anybody else because then, you know, look, we all live on this planet. Maybe there are some people who do. Sure. What I think we will see is information and propaganda war. Maybe we're seeing it right now. I don't know. I'm, I'm speculating. OK, I don't want to get too conspiratorial. I'm just telling you, if we have all these news outlets saying that we're in a Cold War, we would lose the Cold War and we're dangerously close to a hot war. We have seen the close encounters in the South China Sea. Wouldn't China be engaging in some kind of cyber war, information war, propagandistic warfare? Stands to reason they would. And we've literally gotten the reports about it going back to November. They are producing propaganda. And if that is the case, then it stands to reason that Donald Trump would seek to shut down their efforts to engage in this conflict with us. There's something you need to understand about war. The purpose of war, there's many reasons, one of which is to gain control of resources. 
if China wants to win in the long run, they don't need to storm the beaches and then take control of D.C. They just need to win over hearts and minds of Americans. They've done they've done so and actually in a very clever way. All of the people who work for TikTok and all of the young people who use TikTok, all of them who are defending this app are providing a shield for the Chinese Communist Party to engage in propagandistic warfare. They are telling us good things about a country that is in, that has concentration camps and they've got our own citizens on TikTok defending them. That is very, very troubling, to say the least. I don't think we're going to be going up against China necessarily. We, we are right in, in, in the grand scheme of things, but we have to deal with our own citizens. And that I mean, that's horrifying. 100 million people using this app in this country, companies, investment, they make it very difficult for us to stop something that they that grants them power over us. Donald Trump is doing the right thing. Whether or not the ban will actually happen, I'm not entirely sure. It could just be the big ask. I'm going to ban them, get them out. Then TikTok panics, sells to Microsoft, shuts down China's access. Good. But China can make other apps. If we start banning more and more apps from China, we are inching closer and closer to hot war because diplomacy is failing. I'll tell you what, man, we can't sit by while they're engaging in these atrocities. Someone made a good point to me the other day on the Timcast IRL podcast saying that what about all the other atrocities for other religious groups, notably Christians? It's a good point. And, and I would say you are right. You're correct. But China poses more than just a threat on this front. They're an economics. They're, they're becoming an economic superpower. They are targeting other territories, you know, South China Sea, notably. They are threatening people in, in Africa and South America. And yes, they have concentration camps. And yes, they're oppressing the people of Hong Kong. All of these things are adding up and it's getting serious. Trump is making moves. I respect that. We'll see how things play out. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastnews. Thanks for hanging out. And I will see you all then. Finally, with the withdrawal of Donald Trump's secret police, the oppression of the peaceful protesters has ended and they held hands and sang songs and a rainbow fired across the sky over downtown Portland as everyone celebrated the end of systemic racism. Or so says the mainstream media, basically. And no, it's not true. In fact, Antifa has been setting fires, some rather large ones still, and trying to break into buildings, pouring garbage all over the streets and ripping off the barriers in front of buildings, presumably to try and break into those buildings. No, it has not been peaceful, but to be fair, it has been relatively quiet now that cops aren't firing tear gas at people. Antifa has also added a new activity to the mix. I should just say the far left. They've decided to start burning books. Yes, literally, there's video of them burning books, Bibles, among other bits of literature. Where have we seen that before? And to be fair, it's not a massive pile of books of like hundreds of books. It's a small pile of a couple books. But I guess they want to make sure everybody knows where they stand on free thought. So yeah, literally burning books. It's a whole lot of fun. Now, listen, there hasn't been a lot of clashes. Well, there hasn't, there, there weren't any clashes. The police did back down. They rejected the agitation as cops were going around trying to get the dirt, the garbage. They're dumb. So, okay, hold, hold on. They're literally pouring garbage out in the sidewalk. And so you get these, these DHS guys coming out and just sweeping it off the sidewalk. The far leftists are screaming at them. Some people are throwing stuff. I don't know if they're throwing it at cops or what, but they're trying to agitate 
instigate some kind of action from the police who rejected this. And I got to tell you, I got to tell you, you know what? Alternate, you know, trying a different strategy, I think is a good idea. And they're trying to see, I believe, I I think it's fair to say that if they stay away and don't engage for a certain amount of time, will this actually end the far left extremism? Will it end the violence, the fires, the attacks? And it very well may. You know, I I refer to these issues as like, uh, I call it the Chinese finger trap problem. You know, you you get the finger trap, you put your fingers in, you you think you got to pull hard to get out, but that just makes it harder to get out. You can't get out. It makes the the trap tighter. You got to push in. Seems counterintuitive. I refer to it this way because sometimes the solution to problems like this require a counterintuitive solution. Unfortunately, however, you can't just let them try and break into buildings, tear down barricades, start fires in the street. So where's the line? Look, I'd love for the violence to finally end. But if that means letting Antifa set a pig's head on fire in the middle of the street, start a, a, they started a pretty big fire of random debris and try and break into buildings and there's no police doing anything. Well, we've got serious problems. To what degree are we willing to allow extremists to do whatever they want in the street in large numbers just because we're worried they'll be mean to us later on? You see, the problem is we want everything to calm down. We want the fighting to stop. We want the violence to stop. But if they're still going to get violent later, do we reward them? Do we reward their violence now by saying, okay, we surrender? It's a tough call. I got to be honest. Because like I said, man, we're not seeing videos of police clashing with the violent rioters, which they use to propagandize and bring more people down. But that the reason we're not seeing a lot of videos uh, of any kind of clashes is because they just let the violent rioters do whatever they want. And I'll tell you what, when these people start tearing down barriers off walls and starting fires, it has become a riot. Now, as much as the media wants to claim with the police backing down, everything is peaceful. The reality is, and they all admit this, the activists down there, okay, have been have been stopping the far left extremists from throwing explosives, from starting fires, and they're not even that successful. So they're like, now that the police are gone, everything has become peaceful, except for, you know, burning books, fires, attacking buildings. But it is partly because activists themselves are stopping these people. Well, it's about time, I would say. Why didn't they do this sooner? Now, we have some more information, so I'll show you this. We'll go through the fake news. But I've got, I got big news. First, let me just say, I believe one of the reasons that we're not seeing as much violence in Portland is because many of these extremists took a road trip about 100 miles south to the town of Springfield, Oregon, a town of about 60,000, and marched through residential neighborhoods. I'm sure a lot of the rioters down there were local, but more of the, the more extremist agitators who engage in extremism probably dipped out of Portland to go to Springfield because, I don't know, maybe they felt like terrorizing a small town, which is what they were basically doing. Police were fighting with rioters in a, in a small town neighborhood. I've got the article, man, I'll show you. But we have a big update. It's, it's actually a really interesting story pertaining to grandma's boy, the dude who was wearing the vest. We can now confirm, it would seem, according to an affidavit from an ATF agent, that this Antifa guy who lobbed an explosive at the courthouse did, in fact, get his vest from his grandmother, and he admitted it in an interview. Very interesting. We also have his, uh, his release records, uh, the terms of his release. This is a guy who was charged with arson by the ATF. This is a really interesting story. This guy's apparently not all there. He's got some mental, you know, deficiencies, to, to put it mildly. However, according to this affidavit, he's claiming he was set up, that somebody handed him what he thought was a spinner. 
you know, you light it and it spins on the ground. And it was about the same size. And they told him, if you're not going to light it, give it back. So he did. And it turned out to be a very serious explosive. This is, it's, it's something we've seen for a long time. I mentioned this before. It's like the Joker in The Dark Knight. I don't know if you've seen the movie where uh, it, it's, you know, The Dark Knight with Christian Bale and all that's Batman. And uh, Harvey, you know, Two-Face, captures this guy, this, this cop, and he's trying to get answers out of him. And Batman says he's not going to tell you anything. He's a paranoid schizophrenic. That's the kind of mind the Joker preys upon. And that's what we're seeing here now with Antifa. This dude who threw the explosive apparently is not all with it. He was uh, a, a foster kid, didn't have a family growing up, was already on parole, it would seem. And Antifa takes advantage. You see, these Antifa extremists know what they're doing. They're organized. You can make fun of the rest of them for being whiny, stupid babies, but they have smart, organized extremists among their ranks. These are people who make it all happen. And the reason they don't get caught is because they make sure other people do their dirty work. And apparently that's what happened. Now, this guy could be lying. Maybe he is the mastermind of Antifa. But it would seem, according to his affidavit, somebody gave it to him to make him do it. And now he's the one who's going to, you know, go to go to prison for it. Five year minimum. I want to show you this stuff here we got from the Daily Wire. They say protesters burn Bibles in Portland, rip protective boarding off buildings. Now, the Daily Wire, I actually haven't used since NewsGuard down uh, downranked them, to be completely honest. I believe this is an unfair uh, assessment for the Daily Wire. But for the sake of, you know, checking my own biases, I don't re- I don't really use the Daily Wire all that often because of this. But to be fair, Many of their stories are absolutely verifiable, notably one where they post a bunch of videos proving what they're saying is true. So let me show you. They say left-wing activists ride in Portland on Friday night where they burned Bibles, set fires in the street and tore protective boarding off buildings. The riot, the riots had cooled off on Thursday night as federal and state officers located inside the courthouse were not forced to leave the building during the course of the night. The Department of Homeland Security said in a statement, it does seem like they are pulling back on purpose and letting these people do this. I got to be honest. Now, I can respect it to the, to the degree that the feds are, trying to, are, are hoping that a couple nights with no engagement might result in these people getting bored and going home. But what's, what, what, do you, what, do you, what does that mean? It means you let these people go around and burn books and torch things in the street and start massive fires? Maybe it does. I'm not going to pretend to know best. I mean, look, you got these cops. They're trying to do what they think is right. I'll defer to them. Left-wing activists bring a stack of Bibles to burn in front of the federal courthouse in Portland. Yep. More flag burning at the Antifa BLM gathering in downtown Portland. Now, I do want to point out something very important. Legally, you can burn books and you can burn uh, flags in terms of speech. But I don't, I don't think actually you can start fires in areas like this. So I've seen, you know, at, at riots, basically, the cops will come up and put out any fire they see saying you're legally allowed to burn something if you can safely burn it. Okay. But you're not legally allowed to start a random fire in the street because this could seriously, you know, cause massive damage, especially with the wood boarding they have for a lot of these buildings. But now it seems like they're just standing back. They're going to let it happen. We'll see what happens. They say numerous journalists who were on the ground said that the left-wing activists were trying to provoke a response from federal agents inside. And that's, we actually have the tweets for that. One journalist reported that rioters dumped garbage in front of one exit CBP clears the hazard and agitators begin to provoke a response. This is absolutely true. You can see it in the video as the police are walking. They're being followed by people who are screaming. It looks like some small object or something is thrown, but I'm not sure they're throwing anything at cops, to be completely honest. This guy, Kalen, says agitators trying to provoke a response from federal officers, violently battering the door with kicks and using their shield as a battering ram. 
President Donald Trump announced late Friday night Homeland Security is not leaving Portland until local police complete cleanup of anarchists and agitators. Other videos posted online by Andy No show large fires being set in the street. I love how uh, Andy says, rioters started a large fire in downtown Portland at the peaceful protest. This is a fairly large fire burning in the street. So I'll tell you what, man, again, I can say here's a video of them trying to they're, they're literally tearing down the barricades. There are several videos of them doing this. Maybe you live in Portland and I'll tell you what. I don't know. Look, if somebody set fires near my place of business, near my, you know, uh, house or apartment or whatever, I would not be all too happy. And I would prefer it if law enforcement would actually put those fires out. I don't know how many people live anywhere near that federal courthouse. So maybe they've decided, you know what, we're going to stand down and hopefully this will just come to an end. It's, it's possible. And to be fair, the feds and the, and the state police are correct that if they just keep engaging, more and more people will come. I have to say, though, maybe the answer is arresting the extremists. Is it not that simple? They arrest the, so the guy, the grandma's boy guy actually turned himself in, according to the affidavit. We have this statement here from Acting Secretary Wolf, statement on Oregon agreeing to cooperate in quelling Portland violence. He says, over the past 24 hours, Governor Brown and I have been in regular communication and have agreed to a joint plan to end the violent activity in Portland directed at federal properties and law enforcement officers. That plan includes a robust presence of Oregon State Police in downtown Portland. State and local law enforcement will begin securing properties and streets, especially those surrounding federal properties that have been under nightly attack for the past two months. Oregon State Police will coordinate with FPS officers to ensure all federal facilities remain protected and secure. This plan is possible due to the valiant efforts of the DHS law enforcement. You get the point. He says President Trump has made it clear the administration is ready and willing to partner with state and local law enforcement to protect every American. And you see that commitment in Portland with this plan. The department and his administration will continue to continue to fulfill its solemn obligation to uphold federal law across the country. Here's what they're saying. This is fake news. Trump says federal agents will stay in Portland, but they already left. No, they didn't. They're literally still there. There's video of them sweeping up trash during the rioting last night. I say rioting because I have to, man. I know when you say riot, you're imagining people running up and smashing out windows and screaming and they're all fighting. But it's not a protest, okay? Tearing down barricades, starting fires. This is not protesting, okay? You're damaging property. This is the, it's like a low level riot. But things are calming down to be fair. But the feds are still there. They're literally walking around doing their job. They just weren't firing tear gas or anything like that. So here's what happens. What Newsweek is doing here is laundering false, is fake news, false information. This story is a regurgitation of a story I covered yesterday from The Guardian that claimed the same thing. It's not true. The feds have not left. They're doing the exact same thing they've always done, except they're choosing. Uh, what I should say is they're in the courthouse. They're cleaning up garbage. They're defending the building and they're not going out and, and you know, stopping the fires or anything like that. So they've backed away from putting fires out. They're still there. But here's the best part. When you scroll down, they say Oregon Live also reported that by 11 p.m. protesters were not engaging in disruptive actions seen in recent weeks, such as shining lasers, holding up reflective services against agents, letting off fireworks and throwing objects over the fence. Uh huh. So wait a minute. They didn't leave. And the reason the violence is stopping is because the extremists are chilling out and because other protesters there are stopping the extremists. 
How about that? I got to say, I do find it kind of strange that the mayor offers up a ceasefire and then the next day the extremists suddenly stop. Isn't that so weird? If only we had known Ted Wheeler could just ask them politely and they would have done it. Maybe he would have stopped them a long time ago. So how is it? Serious question that Ted Wheeler, the mayor of Portland, comes out and says, I'd like a ceasefire with you, sir. And the next day, where are the explosives? Nowhere to be found. Huh. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? I'm not saying I know why it happened. At the very least, it could be that as soon as he asked for a ceasefire, other protesters became determined to shut down the extremists. It could be that some of these people actually watched my video where I said, why ain't y'all stopping the extremists? And they started to do it. Okay, I'll accept that. I asked for it. I said, it's time to stop these guys. They did it. Good on them. I completely, I mean it 100%, 100% respect to all of the peaceful demonstrators who said enough and shut down these lunatics who were throwing explosives. I would love to see thousands of people swinging their phones back and forth with their mantra, whatever they want. And then as soon as an Antifa guy shows up with a bag of fireworks, they grab him and walk him to the police and he gets arrested. That would be incredible. And you know what it would do? It would seriously help the Democrats, especially in Oregon. Peaceful protests work. So long as they keep letting the extremists do their thing, they will look bad. That's why they finally realized we better stop them. Probably because the riots were making Trump look good. You know why? He was sending out federal law enforcement to shut down people throwing explosives. There's videos of people throwing explosives, which brings me to grandma's boy. That's right. Antifa militant whose grandma bought him riot vest has been charged with arson. He turned himself in and we have this affidavit. This is from courtlistener.com. I looked it up. I was able to find this. I also was able to find this uh, from Court Listener. This is the terms of release. This is kind of crazy. One of the terms of this dude's release for throwing the explosive was to give up his DNA. That's kind of crazy. He gave up DNA for this one. Sure, whatever. Order setting conditions for release. Check this out. According to an affidavit from an ATF agent, a guard Berryhill stated his grandmother bought him the vest he was wearing in the video. At the time of the interview, a guard Berryhill stated he was wearing the same shirt from last night, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, it turns out that post online about the grandmother buying him the vest, it's presumably true. That is quite interesting, I suppose. I didn't believe it. I said last night, I was like, nah, dude, it's not real. Someone was trolling and posted and probably bought the vest just so they can get a verified review. I'm, according to this dude in the affidavit, it's actually his grandmother who bought it. But let me read you this one portion of this. This is, inter- this is interesting. A guard burial said he believes he was set up that night by the, what does it say, by the known male, but had not seen anything explode like the one he threw. A guard burial said he has seen different mortars and sparklers. He said that he, the one he threw did not, uh, did, did not like a firework to him. Look like one. I, I assume there's missing a word, but it was in firework packaging. A guard burial described the device as a yellow cardboard packaging with blue stripes, uh, was the size of a small V8 can and had a green fuse in the middle of it. A guard burial said there was no writing on the object. He stated he believed it was a firework, but did not realize what it was until it went off and did not know it was going to respond the way it did. He said he had used a lot of fireworks in the past, and it looked like a firework to him. When asked whether his intent was to destroy anything or damage anything, or if he threw the object in anger at the courthouse, a guard burial responded he wanted to keep it so he could set it off with his friends somewhere. But the unknown male said, he had to throw it or give it back. 
basically some Antifa dude walks up to this guy, this grandma's boy, who apparently was like a foster kid. It sounds like according to this dude was actually on parole for a felony. This is really interesting. So some Antifa guy walks up to him, hands him some kind of explosive and says, throw it. The dude wanted to keep it. He argues in the, in the affidavit that he wanted to save it for, for him and his friends later. But the guy said, nah, it's a spinner. You'll light it. You know, the spinners, they go, they fly in the air. And he was like, throw it or, or, you know, give it back. I actually believe this dude. I really do. For two reasons. First, like I said, Antifa preys on the minds of people like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a spinner. You do it. You get in trouble. No one's going to catch me, they say. But I believe the guy because he turned himself in and then waived his rights and told the cops everything. I mean, I'm going to lead towards believing the guy that when he found out what had actually happened, apparently he, he, he turned himself in. They acknowledged this in the affidavit. They go on to mention in, uh, the statement about, you know, the courthouse and the attacks and everything, daily protests, et cetera, et cetera. They mention here's here's an image of the explosion. It looks like just a white blur because that's what the flash looks like. They say you can see here some fire damage. After the large thermal event subsides, flames are visible in two areas with one area of flames against the protective wood covering. What he threw was intended to start a fire. And I talked about this on the IRL podcast before. You can see that when it blows up, there is a big shock and a flash, but flames go up. Looks like whatever this device was, was intended to create a fire of some sort. They mentioned broken bottles and all this stuff. You can see the damage on the building. They reviewed social media posts. They found the family. They, they found photos of the guy. There he is wearing his vest. And eventually it, it would seem he turned himself in. They, they even mentioned in the affidavit, they located the review on, I think it's called Hibbit, where the guy's grandma says he bought him the vest. Now, this is the important part. I was able to locate the above review on Hibbit.com. The dude later admits it was grandma. I know many of you are probably laughing. Whenever I show this people, they bust out laughing because it turns out the meme, the joke about these Antifa people being dumb kids living in their parents' basements is largely true. But, I, but, I'll, but I'll tell you this, man, there are clever, older, organized extremists. They just get the dumb people to do their dirty work. This is the guy who's going to go to jail now because they don't know who the other guy is. Upon realizing what had happened, I guess this guy, you know, there's a picture of him. It's from his Facebook page, I, I suppose. And they say a USMS deputy subsequently contacted a North Valley parole and probation officer and submitted the following fo- photograph. The parole and probation officer identified the indiv- individual in the above photograph as a guard burial and subsequently fight it, uh, provided the following photograph. I guess they redacted it. I'm not sure. I spoke with the, the parole and probation officer who informed me that a guard burial advised the officer that he allegedly was near the courthouse on the 28th and that an unknown individual provided an object to him. A guard burial described the item as a piece of chalk or a substance similar to the size of a piece of chalk. See, he was lying there, but he tried turning himself in. Apparently, he contacted the, the parole officer to let them know all of this happened. On July 30th, I received information from a USMS deputy, this is Marshall's, Marshall's I believe, that the parole and probation officer advised a guard Barry Hill uh, wanted to turn himself into custody. USMS subsequently responded to take a guard Barry Hill into custody. I interviewed, you know, Barry Hill with another ATF special agent after he had been taken into custody prior to the revival at the courthouse and booked into Marshall's custody, blah, blah, blah. They read him as Miranda rights. 
He decided to waive his rights. They read him his rights again. He said, I'll just tell you what happened. And then it, it seems like after that, he became a bit more forthcoming in, uh, in what actually happened. The conclusion here says, based on the foregoing, I have probable cause to believe that Gabriel E. Agard Burial attempted to maliciously damage the federal courthouse, a building wholly owned and used by the U.S. by means of fire caused through the use of an incendiary object or an object with energetic material in violation of, well, you know, and the, and the code. I therefore request the court issues a criminal complaint and, and a warrant charging a guard burial with the offense. I'll tell you what, you want a lawyer. You ever get arrested, you want a lawyer. This is actually a really good example. He told him every, he told him all of these things. Maybe he was hoping that by saying somebody gave this to me, that he wouldn't get in trouble. I'll tell you what, I believe him when he says it. I really do. He does not seem like the person who has the capability to get whatever device that was, especially when grandma's buying his vest for him. However, he admitted that he was willing to throw some kind of incendiary. That's all that matters. They're charging him with arson. I believe they're only charging him with arson because he admitted he thought it was some kind of incendiary and threw it anyway. They're actually going easy on him, in my opinion. If they wanted to, they could say he's lying. He threw an explosive. Let's go for a whole list of charges. Instead, they just said arson. Man, they could have got this guy in a ton, a ton of stuff, man. I'll tell you what. So he came out, he told him everything, and they're going easy on him, it would seem. We'll see how things play out coming up the next few days. There's a bunch of other funny news coming out. Journalists are starting to freak out because there's a judge who was just really dumb <laughs> and is now saying that basically the ACLU gets to decide who's a journalist. And now all of a sudden, these journalists are freaking out like, whoa, 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 no way. That's right. The ACLU will be like, not a journalist, not a journalist. Let's see how that one's playing out. But hey, you reap what you sow, man. You, you, you entertain these lunatics. This is what happens. Morality policing. And now a far left organization is going to tell all these journalists you're no longer journalists. That means you can be arrested, detained, have no legal protections. That's what a judge just said. We'll see how this plays out. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then. Heaven help us, says journalist Mike Baker for The New York Times upon realizing that a judge wants to institute some kind of ruling where the ACLU, a far left advocacy organization, would determine who is a real journalist and who isn't. Now, the ACLU used to be pretty awesome. They used to defend free speech. They were the American Civil Liberties Union. But they realized the money was so much sweeter if they bent the knee. And now they're the anti-civil liberties union and they actually advocate against civil rights. I'm not exaggerating at all. There have been several high profile cases, notably with schools discriminate, discriminating against people based on their race. The ACLU is in favor of things like this under the guise of supporting civil liberties by allowing institutions to discriminate against people for their immutable characteristics. That's not civil liberties. That's the opposite. Well, you see, over in Portland, there have been clashes with the police and some journalists were outraged. Why were the police pushing me around? I am but a humble reporter. Now, with all due respect, Mike Baker does a pretty good job, at least from the work of his that I've seen. He's reported on the ground and given us some raw footage, some straight shoot reporting, and I respect it. So I feel bad that he's now freaking out. He's realizing just how bad it's going to be. Take a look at this tweet. He says, heaven help us. Quote, we could redefine journalist to someone who is authorized by the ACLU. U.S. District Judge Michael Simon said the ACLU could maintain a list 
of who they are giving vests to and give them appropriate guidance and instructions. Ooh, I love it. First, they came for. I tell you what. Do you have any idea what it's going to be like for all these journalists living under the boot of a far left organization? You're going to show up in a place like Portland and be like, hi, ACLU. Can I have a vest? I'm a reporter. Who do you work for? I write for the New York Times. Uh huh. And can you show me some of your work? Here's an article I have criticizing the riots. Yeah, you're not a journalist. You're a far right agitator. No vest for you. And then when they go out, they're not real press. You see, this all has to do with the fact that Antifa has been declaring themselves journalists and medics, and the police can't tell the difference. So the police see a dude claiming to be a journalist, and they're like, I don't care who you say you are, because that guy's claiming to be the same thing, but he's flying an Antifa flag. Well, this is the judge. This is the idea being floated, and journalists are starting to freak out. We got this tweet from Mike Baker and several responses. This guy says he doesn't think it's a good idea, but he does like the judge. Another guy says, good God, what a dumb effing idea. It's beyond dumb. It is, it is the, one of the most extremely, one of the, most, one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. But I'll tell you what, man, these far left journalists that have infiltrated these news organizations are laughing and cheering. This is a giant spike in the back of what was left of journalism. And there was very little left, to be honest. It is a withered husk, a dying old man crawling on the ground. And the ACLU walked up and the judge placed the spike on his back and the ACLU drove it in with a sledgehammer. And here we are. You will have to get permission from far left extremists to report. But let's read the story and see what's really going on, because maybe we're not. It's not that bad yet. I also want to point out, however, in this judge's story, we have uh, in the story about the judge, we have this judge proposes numbered jerseys for federal agents in Portland. Court may make law enforcement officers grappling with protests wear unique codes. What? I kid you not. This judge, I'm sorry, man. It sounds like he has no idea what's really going on. But let's see why the journalists are so upset first. Courthouse News says, who's a journalist in Portland? Judge says the ACLU might decide. The American Civil Liberties, Union, Civil Liberties Union may be the arbiter of who is and isn't a journalist at Portland protests, with a federal judge floating the idea of requiring journalists to be identified by the organization's blue vests in order to avoid assault or arrest by federal agents under the court's temporary restraining order. U.S. District Judge Michael Simon said in a hearing Friday that the move might be a solution to claims from the Department of Homeland Security and the U.S. Marshals that his restraining order is unworkable because, according to his agencies, some protesters are falsely identifying themselves as press. That is a fact. Last week, Simon ordered federal agents squaring off nightly with protesters around the Mark O. Hatfield Federal Courthouse to let people identified as journalists wearing a press pass or clothing with the word press on it and legal observers to do their jobs without subjecting them to the use of force, dispersal orders, or arrest. But the federal agencies claim the order is unworkable, in part because they say protesters are falsely adopting the insignia of the press. The federal agencies also note in court documents that agents' ability to clearly see and identify journalists is inhibited by their own copious deployment of tear gas. At Friday's hearing, Judge Simon pointed to a video submitted by the government that allegedly shows a protester wearing a helmet with the word press on, bursting through the barrier set up by federal agents and called out to other protesters to join him. I think he said they can't arrest us all. I think he even said that's why we have the Second Amendment. Folks, 
I sure hope this case is about the First Amendment and not the Second Amendment. Yikes. He added, simply having press on your helmet might not be the best way to preserve First Amendment rights. Matthew Borden, attorney for the journalists and legal observers, told Simon the temporary restraining order protects his clients from targeted assaults, arrest and dispersal merely for doing their jobs. It doesn't change the fact that anyone is subject to arrest if federal agents have probable cause to believe they have broken the law. The basis for the restraining order is if you are there to do your job, you can do that. This guy, I don't think he gained any get out of jail free card by having press on his helmet. No, what you don't understand is that they will lob fireworks, explosives, they will tear down the fence and then back away. And then when the police move in to arrest them, they'll go, help, help, I'm a journalist being arrested and people will film it. And then videos pop up saying things like journalists are being attacked by the police. Well, what's their solution? They're going to say they can see what the guy's doing. And if I'm wrong, they can arrest. And, and, and if it's wrong, they can arrest him. At the end of the day, they still can't identify anyone who used the word press to escape culpability for doing something wrong. Simon said, treating journalists more like legal observers would make the restraining order more workable for the federal agencies. We could redefine journalists to someone who is authorized by the ACLU, Simon said. The ACLU could maintain a list. First of all, there's so much wrong with that. I'm not giving my name to someone to put me on a list. What, what, what happens if that list gets stolen or leaked or I, 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 you could get doxxed? That's a stupid idea. The ACLU could maintain a list of who they're giving vests to and give them appropriate guidance and instructions. And no, I don't need guidance or instruction from a from a far left nonprofit. I know I know how to do journalism. That way we might be able to solve the problem of somebody just putting press on their helmet or their shirt. No, you won't, because the far left activist organization will embolden and empower far leftists and stop real journalists. And then they'll say, that guy's not wearing an ACLU vest. He must not really be a journalist, gonk. And then it turns out that guy's actually the journalist and the far leftist was given the vest because the ACLU is clearly supporting them. Yeah, welcome to the new world. I have said it over and over again. Your morality government is coming. This is another example. The ACLU has overtly supported racist far left white supremacist policy. And I'm using that in the literal sense of the term, telling, fighting on behalf, arguing on behalf of institutions to discriminate against minorities. I'm not talking about white people. I'm talking about the Asian minorities. Yeah. You want to talk about what they claim is white supremacy? The ACLU nails it. Once a very great organization that fought for the rights of individuals under the first amendment, even when they disagreed. Now they realize the money was just too good. You want to know how this happened? You see, Donald Trump put a moratorium on some travel from some countries. And the ACLU said, you can't do that. It's a violation of civil rights. All of a sudden, they received an influx from far left cultists who were donating like crazy. And then the ACLU tried to defend the Charlottesville uh, uh, event, you know, the organizers and, and giving you know, their right to have the event. This resulted in all of these woke far leftists canceling their subscriptions. Oh, no, the ACLU realized we're losing money from the cult. Well, if we want to keep that sweet, sweet Skrilla, what do we got to do? Bend the knee. And they did. And now the ACLU, along with a bunch of other nonprofits, have gone from freedom, liberal, idea loving you know, people to fringe zealot cultist extremists who support policies that would strip you of your civil rights. And now the ACLU, it's being floated by a judge, will be the arbiter of who gets to be a journalist. Now, I've talked about the New York Times being taken over. We all know our cultural institutions are being dominated by these psychopaths. 
if a federal judge actually tries to implement this and it's not challenged, I mean, even this is going too far. What happens next will be hilarious, not necessarily in a good way for anybody, but I'm certainly going to laugh because you will end up with news organizations having no ability to actually cover Antifa. Think about it. The ACLU supports them. They are on the ground in support of these far leftists. So what happens when a far leftist comes up and says, put me down as a journalist? They go, you got it, buddy. And then what happens when Breitbart, Fox News or any other outlet shows up? They're going to say, you don't count as a journalist. No, you're 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 a propagandist. We're not going to let you have a, you have a vest. And then what? You combine that with morality policing. Then you're only ever going to hear about peaceful protesters. Never again will there be a riot. When Antifa shows up to your house and shatters your window and beats the crap out of you, they're going to be filming only you. And then when the story comes out, they're going to be like, here's a bunch of peaceful demonstrators and this violent homeowner. What happened? They won't show you the truth. They won't show you what's actually going on. We've already seen in the videos, they're screaming, stop filming us, film the police. And they beat and attack the journalists. I know I've experienced it personally. They have physically assaulted me and threatened me over and over again. What happens when only journalists are begging the ACLU for their certification? Please let me be a journalist to cover the riot. Okay, but only if you only if you agree to show them favorably. It's it's tacit. It's not going to be overt. They're going to say things like, I don't know. You published a story that accused these people of being rioters, and we think that's fake news. Therefore, you're not a real journalist, so you don't get access. And now the only stories that come out will say peaceful protesters. There could be people beating someone to death in the street and no one will film it because they'll beat you too. And then all of the approved journalists. Now, I don't think we're there yet, but you can tell why these journalists are starting to freak out how serious this will be. It may be preliminary. I certainly don't think so. The First Amendment is being torn to shreds. Free speech has been crushed in this country. The Constitution is Swiss cheese as all of these governors institute edict and the cops just say, you got it, buddy, and then go and arrest people trying to run their businesses. What do you think is going on? Do you think it ends here when a judge says a far left cultist organization now has the right to determine who can report the news? Well, there you go. Now, to be fair, they're saying, the ACLU will give vests to their approved journalists to maintain that list. And that way, the police know who they can or can't arrest as a real journalist. Do you think the police are going to be like, I'm going to respect the First Amendment and make sure that even if they're not wearing a vest, I won't arrest them? No, the police shut up to McCloskey's house and they seized their guns quite illegally. The attorney general says the police showed up to Adelis Jim and they arrested the gym owners quite illegally, most people, well, I should say many people would uh, believe. I guess, of course, if you believe the governors of their states have a right to issue edict and arrest people without laws being passed, fine. What about Michigan, Ohio, Texas, where all the same thing happened? I'm sorry, man. Look, there's a lot of cops that refuse to enforce unconstitutional rules, mask laws, you know, gun seizures, things like that. But in these cities, the cops just do whatever it is they're told. And then we still see people on the right defending them for some reason. I'll tell you what I'll see, what we will see happen. The cops in Portland are going to be like, if they're wearing a blue vest, don't, you know, arrest them or, or touch them because they're protected according to a federal order. Anybody else, clear them out, arrest them. These cops, it's not about intent. They're not going to go out there and be like, I got to make sure I protect journalists. No, they're going to go out there and be like, I was told not to touch the blue vest guys. This will mean the far left gets preferred access. Welcome to, to your, your morality government. 
I've been saying it over and over again. Simon said this measure, uh, this, this was a measure he was merely considering. Let's hope it stays that way. This may or may not be a good idea. Maybe we try it for just two weeks. Then at the, he- then at the hearing preliminary injunction, you can all tell me whether there are problems with it and whether they are solvable or unsolvable. Borden said that probably wouldn't fly under the First Amendment. The ACLU shouldn't be. I don't think anybody should be trying to say who's a journalist and certainly not my client, Borden said. I don't think they have the resources to do that or the confidence. And it's unclear what sort of protection the ACLU's blue vests actually provide. Despite Simon's restraining order, legal observers at the ACLU and the National Lawyers Guild say federal agents have continued to intentionally target them for, for violence. You know, back in the day during Occupy, I helped out the National Lawyers Guild. They used my footage as evidence to exonerate people who were wrongfully arrested, one guy particularly. And later on, during the Trump era, they stood opposed to other peaceful demonstrators to support the far left. And I asked them, I was like, I was like, hey, how come you guys are only observing for one side, not the other? Shouldn't you be observing for everybody so they can peacefully demonstrate? And they said, no, we're a progressive organization. And I was like, so you don't actually care about anyone's rights. You care about supporting your politics. Bingo. The ACLU sends out observers too. The ACLU doesn't care about the rights of the police officers, and they don't care about the rights of right wing groups. They only care about the far left. Why? Because that's who pays the bills. Hey, look, man, even if a bunch of right wing people were, you know, I, I, I used to donate to the ACLU. I'll never do it again. And I told them this. You guys are not for civil liberties. You oppose civil liberties, but they don't care. They got a huge influx of religious cultists. And that's cash in the bank, baby. Bend the knee because the money is just too good to pass up. They, they say, despite Simon's restraining order, legal observers with the ACLU and the National Lawyers Guild have been, have continued to intentionally, they say federal agents have continually uh, targeted them. On the very night that Simon issued his restraining order, federal agents shot legal observer Kat Mahoney in the head with a pink paintball as she stood across the street from the federal courthouse observing the protest, according to Mahoney's declaration. Later that same night, Mahoney says a federal officer calmly doused her and three other observers as though they were watering a line of flowers. And federal officers shot another legal observer with a rubber bullet after the restraining order was in place, according to the documents. In that situation, the officer stood four feet from a legal observer wearing a green National Lawyers Guild hat and fired directly at her chest, missing her heart by just a few inches. Yes, I don't like hearing these things, but let me tell you, a green hat is not proper identification for anything. So how do you solve this? Honestly, I have no idea. This problem's been going on for a long time. In fact, during Ferguson, I was wearing a vest that said press on the chest. I didn't have my wallet with me with my press cards. And when I tried walking past a police line, it's actually on the live stream. The cop ripped the press thing off my chest and threw it on the ground and said I wasn't a journalist. I'm like, I have a film crew with me, dude. So you think like some random rioter who, who has a film crew with him? Is not the journalist. You ri- he ripped the pre- press thing off my chest, threw it on the ground. I had to pick it up. Yeah, it's difficult. I get it. But I think it's really absurd when someone's clearly a journalist. How do police properly identify? I don't know. I've been subjected to, I would say, I would argue a violation of my rights. But guess what? You're in an active conflict zone. Don't expect to get preferential treatment. It's impossible. What they're really doing here is trying to jam up the police, because I assure you, when they're standing there with Molotovs, with, with, you know, with explosives being lobbed at them, they're not going, wait, wait, hold on, that guy? Oh, he's got a green hat. That means he's good. No, they're being like, we need to clear this out now. They're throwing explosives at us. 
Anybody who does proper training for this stuff knows exactly what you're supposed to do when you're dealing with conflict. Do not stand in the line of fire. Do not stand between the rioters and the police. Stand off to the side. And even that may not be enough. You know, entering the fray, there is a risk for you to be hurt. The police cannot, in a split second, make these determinations. Now they can see a blue vest, sure. But we're talking about a chaotic moment. Tear gas everywhere. People are setting fires and a figure emerges, a couple figures, and you're like, there's a group of people they need to disperse. Uh oh, one of them was wearing a green hat. Well, what happens if someone then wears a green hat? As they already showed, there are there are Antifa rioters wearing press garb. So how do you properly identify them? I understand the idea of making them wear a vest or something. Many journalists do wear reflective vests. There is no way you can do it. The protesters hide behind journalists on purpose. So this happens. The extremists use human shields on purpose. The guy who got arrested for arson was given the explosive by some unknown individual. They use patsies and human shields so they can continue creating chaos and no one can do anything about it. This is propaganda for them. They want the journalists screaming, how dare you? They want the videos of the journalists being like, yo, F you, man. Why am I being attacked? I'll tell you what, man. These journalists who go out and scream and complain that police are, are being mean to them. Okay, dude, you, you, do you, do you not have any experience with the conflict? You think you're going to get special treatment in these, in, in a, in a hot, in, in a hostile moment, in a hostile environment? You're insane. To think that, first of all, these cops are wearing masks. It probably obstructs their vision a bit. Then you've got people all over in every direction. And you think they're going to be like, hold on there, Bill. I noticed that in that crowd is some dude wearing blue. So all of those people don't fire any weapons in that direction. They talk about the observers getting hit and they always try to make it seem like it was intentional. That's what they're saying. Maybe it is. And that shouldn't be. So if that's the case, the cops should not be doing that. 100%. The cops have no reason to walk straight up to someone in a blue vest and just spray them or whatever. So if that's happening, I'm glad it's being called out. Unfortunately, I believe the far left has given up. We've given up too much goodwill to these people. I don't believe them. I don't believe the ACLU. I don't believe their observers. I don't believe the NLG because I've seen them. I've seen them take sides. That's literally what they're there for. So it's very easy then if you have a big row of Antifa throwing bricks and there's one observer and so the cops are trying to clear it out and the observer gets hit. The observer goes, he was targeting me on purpose. The journalists do the same thing. You are in a conflict. You may get hit. Is there is there anyone going to the Antifa organizers saying, I just want to make sure you don't attack our journalists? No. And the Antifa people attack the journalists, too. So I'll tell you what. How about if you can't take the heat, you get out of the kitchen. But let me tell you where this really brings us to. It brings us to a world of, in my opinion, dumb judges. I'm, I'm not trying to be mean, but look at this. Judge proposes numbered jerseys for federal agents. Duh, because the police aren't wearing unique codes already. Look, he says they, they must wear unique codes. Maybe stop getting your news from memes, judge, and start actually looking at what's going on on the ground. Now, perhaps this is the fault of the federal prosecutors or whatever, not the judge himself. If that's the case, well, then with, with respect, I will apologize 100%. The government should be telling the judge, uh, your honor, they're wearing numbers. They've been wearing numbers. But if the judge has no idea what's going on, the judge will issue nonsensical rulings. Now, um, uh, hopefully this weird giving the ACLU the right to declare journalists thing won't fly under the First Amendment. 
You know why I'm not super confident? Because let's be real. The Constitution at this point is Swiss cheese. It's, it's it. We, we may as well not have one. You know what, man? There's a Blue Lives Matter group. They want Blue Lives Matter written in New York. And de Blasio said, no. Now he's got, he, he's got to be sued. Okay, it's a violation of the First Amendment. But how many states have violated a bunch of the amendments? How, like no-knock warrants with, um, you know, with uh, plainclothes cops kicking people's doors in? What about cops seizing the weapons of the McCloskeys? Violation of the second, violation of the fifth, violation of the fourth, and violation of the first across the board in, as of this year. So I'm not confident. I think they will absolutely institute more morality government. It's beyond morality policing. They're declaring racism a public health crisis across the board in cities all over this country. The morality government is here. People need to protest, I guess. People need to stand up against this. And also, you need to go out and vote in November. Hopefully, it'll be enough. Hopefully, this will end. We'll see how things play out. Next segment's coming up at, coming up at 4 p.m. over at TimCast.net, and I will see you all then. This story is not so much a get woke, go broke, as it is a the employees of Nike have been knifed in the back in their effort to get woke as they go broke. You see, Nike has done a ton of things in terms of getting woke. And because of the coronavirus, among other issues, they've had a particularly bad year, I guess. It is one of their, what do they call it? A rare money losing quarter. And because of this, they must lay off 500 people. It's a sad, sad story. And I'll tell you what, man, I feel really bad for all the employees. Now, you may be wondering, how is just Nike losing money and laying people off a get woke, go broke? Like I said, it is kind of, but it's actually sort of a Nike just stabbed all of its employees that got laid off in the back and they're going to be laying off more because they're going broke and they're going to be giving $40 million to social justice organizations over the next several years. What does that mean? You're expendable. And I'll tell you what else it means. If you're holding stock in Nike, you're insane. The company is sacrificing their functionality in favor of giving money away. It reminds me of Iron Man. Do you guys ever see Iron Man, the first one? Well, Tony Stark goes off to the Middle East to do this weapons display of the Jericho missile. And then he gets captured, struggles, builds his robot Iron Man suit, escapes. And when he comes back, he, announced, he announces to the press, they are no longer going to make weapons. There's then a famous scene in the movie where Jim Cramer says, sell, sell, sell. Tony Stark, Stark Industries, a weapons manufacturer that doesn't make weapons. You'd have to be insane to buy into a company like Nike that's doing this. Now, I'm not going to pretend to know exactly why it is they're doing what they're doing. Perhaps the $40 million is part of a marketing initiative, which they think will help them make money as they lay people off. But let me tell you, man, if you work for a company that's going to give away $40 million over four years, so $10 million this year, I suppose, and they're telling you they have to let you go. Yet they're lying. They don't have to let you go. They can choose not to do whatever this is. Now, I do want to say, I actually like the idea of marketing being done through social good. Like, think about how cool it would be if in, instead of doing a dumb commercial where a guy is like surfing on a buffalo or something, you know, the commercials are dumb. They decided to just have a regular commercial where the guy's like, this is a soda I like to drink. And we gave our entire marketing budget to a charity that does this, that, and this. I like that idea. Like if we if we spent all these millions of marketing dollars on cool stuff, maybe social justice, whatever nonprofit 
I just don't like the idea of them being like, we're giving away $40 million, but we're losing money, so we got to fire everybody. And lo and behold, guess where it's happening? It's happening in Oregon. Yeah, Portland. You had crazy craziness for the past 60 days. So let me just tell you, all this social justice stuff is really hurting regular Americans. So I want, I want to tell you this right now. We're entering an election where you have Joe Biden, who favors all of this. And you have Donald Trump, who favors this, the workers, not the layoffs and not the social justice initiatives. If you're one of these 500 people who got laid off, perhaps you take a look at what's going on politically. And if you stay in Oregon and decide that Joe Biden is the right man for you, don't be surprised when more people you know lose their jobs, because inherently within this social justice narrative, they will sacrifice functionality and merit in exchange for ideology. And that makes literally no sense. Upon seeing this information, I wouldn't be surprised if their stock tanks. I'm assuming Nike is publicly traded. Here's what Oregonian reported. Nike has filed documents with the state that show its recently announced layoffs will eliminate at least 500 jobs at the company's world headquarters near Beaverton. The sneaker giant announced the downsizing on July 22nd after announcing a rare money losing quarter in June, but it has not yet divulged the actual number of job cuts. The total number of layoffs worldwide will be much higher than $500 in Oregon losing their jobs. Nike said last week the cuts would result in termination costs of 200 to $250 million. John Donahoe, Nike's new CEO and president has enacted a plan to vastly simplify Nike's complex corporate org chart. Multiple product category teams responsible for specific products for specific sports and consumers will be hacked down to just three men, women, and kids. Like many corporations, Nike has suffered during the global pandemic and the economic shutdown that came with it. The company reported a loss of $790 million or 51 cents per share during the period ending May 31st, compared with a net income of $989 million or earning of 62 cents per share a year ago. Total revenue is down 38% to 6.31 billion from 10 billion, 10 point, 6 to 10 billion, sure. In its notice to the state, Nike said the cuts will include some members of its corporate leadership teams and their executive assistants. The company added that 192 of the laid off employees will come from one of three Nike childcare centers. The Oregonian Oregon Live reported earlier this week that Nike is closing the centers permanently. The first separations will come around October 1st with additional layoffs continuing afterwards. Now, now hold on, hold on there a minute there. Nike is trying to claim in another story, we're not actually laying people off because we're losing like a billion dollars. I think they lost, what is it, four billion in revenue? They're arguing, we're just trying to restructure. It's just a restructuring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I've heard it all before. It's the same thing they say over and over again. We don't actually, you know, we're not actually collapsing. They have to say this. They have to say it because they want to make sure they can maintain consumer confidence. They're doing this, the $40 million in donations, for similar reasons. For one, they want to make it seem like they can afford to do so. And two, it's a generally, it's it's a pretty massive marketing push. Now, I'm willing to bet their marketing budget per year is substantially higher than just $10 million, but that's that's a lot of money. And I got to tell you, man, if you're one of these people working at a facility and they say, sorry, we're going to shut down, what, what, what is it, their child care facilities? Let, let, let me get this straight. They say, 
Uh, it's coming from leadership teams and executives, blah, blah, blah. The company added 192 of the laid off employees will come from one of three Nike child care centers and that they will close them permanently. What do the child care centers do? I wonder. Are these for like employees who, you know, their kids go there? They're closing down child care facilities instead of paying their employees, taking care of, I don't know, the working class. What are they doing? They're giving the money away. Now, here's what I got to say. I'm sure the far left loves this. This is corporate. What, what do they call this? Like social justice washing or something? Now, if you're, I imagine the far leftists are cheering for this because they're going to get a massive influx of money towards these organizations. Let's read a little bit of the story from The Hill. They say the donations will be focused on investing in organizations dedicated to eradicating racial inequality and promoting social justice and education. These organizations are going to be hiring people. Look, man, you had a job, okay? You worked in a shoe factory or something or an office. You made shoes and sports apparel, real things that people actually need. Uh, I don't I don't know if you want to spend the extra money to get that swoosh on it. But sure, people need sweatbands and shirts and jerseys and shorts and shoes and socks. Well, they fired you and they're going to give that money away to someone who's going to stand on a street corner preaching about their new religion intersectionality. That is not a real job that does nothing for no one. I know I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit. They'll probably give it to some schools and stuff and some sports programs, perhaps. But you're losing your job in exchange for someone else to get a job. Is that fair? No. I'll tell you what. Life isn't fair for one. And if you want to support Nike, then don't be surprised if they keep doing these things. In fact, if I worked there, I'd quit after hearing this. You know why? Let me tell you, man. Do you want to take the risk that you will be the next layoff? You've got to be nuts. They're not doing this for any legitimate business reason. They're giving money away. Okay, they're laying people off. They're losing money. That makes sense. But then to come out with a $40 million initiative, nah, put that money in your own employees. Where are the actual working class activist socialist types who defend labor all day saying it is wrong for a company to make to to be making political donations in exchange for laying off staff for some reason? It makes no sense. But of course, as we've seen, many of these far leftists don't actually support the working class. I mean it. There's a hilarious viral video from Seattle where a bunch of socialists are protesting Amazon and then actual construction workers chant them down saying, we don't like you. You're socialists. You, you, you ever wonder where all the uh, hard hat wearing, you know, reflective vest construction workers are at these far left communist protests? They say they're fighting for the working class, but they're literally the bourgeoisie. These young people, not necessarily all young, but these far leftists are upper middle class to upper class college educated elites telling everyone else what they need. Spare me. I don't need to hear it. You've just taken away the jobs from 500 people. You've closed childcare facilities. If any of these activists actually cared about this stuff, they would be protesting this right now. Now, to be fair, I'm sure some are. Nike is a trash company for trash, (laughs) full of, full of, you know, trash corporate executives that have done trash for a long time. They used to do, you know, kids in sweatshops. I don't know if they're still doing that. They claim to have stopped doing that. But this is the perfect example of the soullessness of corporate America. I've never been a big fan of massive multinational corporations exploiting cheap labor overseas. That's why I used to think that I was on the left. But today, the left is apparently in favor of massive corporations laying off the actual working class to give weird cult organizations millions of dollars. Welcome to the America you've helped create.
Now, I, now, please, I hope you're all going to stand up for these people who are about to lose their jobs and don't know where their next meal will come from. But hey, hey, we can sit back and celebrate that Nike gave money away. So I'll tell you what, this is more of a get broke, <laughs> go woke. Hey, yeah, that's actually what it is. Nike got broke and then went woke for some reason. It's an inversion. Well, I'll tell you what, it's not going to save you. Huh? I got a couple more segments coming up for you in just a few minutes. Stick around and I will see you all shortly. The liberals are waking up and it's about time. I felt like I've been standing on uh, this liberal hill for the longest time with no one else in sight as the far left took over and traditional liberals fell asleep. But now we're starting to see people actually waking up on what used to be the left and now apparently is the center defying cancel culture, far leftist insanity. Of course, to be fair, Bill Maher has long called out the woke outrage mobs. But on a panel just the other night, Maher blasts cancel culture. It's a form of social murder. If conversation with people that we disagree with becomes impossible, what is the way that we solve conflict? Barry Weiss asked. The funny thing about it is that Bill Maher pushed back on the rotating wheel, on the, on the shift of the Overton window. Barry Weiss and I are not centrists. We're not. We, we're liberals. We've been liberals forever. But because the wheel is shifted to the far left, we are now centrists in the general colloquial understanding. And that's the goal of the far left. What they're doing is a massive big ask. They mainstream ridiculous far left policies so that general leftism seems centrist. They claim Bernie Sanders is a centrist. Sorry, bro. He's not. Now, I've been a liberal most of my life. And now the word is seemingly meaningless because liberal now applies to the far leftist. So I'll tell you this, if you're a conservative or a moderate or otherwise, stop calling leftists liberals because Barry Weiss, Bill Maher, people like me, we're liberals. Unfortunately, Bill Maher has Trump derangement syndrome, which I think blinds him from seeing what's really going on. But at least he speaks out in the way he does. And I absolutely respect that. It's about time people stood up and I'm glad they are. Let's read the story from Fox News. They say, Former New York Times opinion editor Barry Weiss and Harper's Magazine columnist Thomas Chatterton Williams appeared on Real Time with Bill Maher on Friday to explain the open letter they penned decrying cancel culture. Earlier this month, Chatterton spearheaded a letter designed, uh, I'm sorry, a letter signed by prominent liberals, including Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling, political activist Noam Chomsky, and, and Chomsky's a leftist, and feminist icon Gloria Steinem all defending open debate without fear of repercussions for expressing point of view. As Bill Maher noted, the letter faced heavy criticism from the left. This is the best part. Check it out. What strikes me about it is the pushback is coming from liberals and almost everyone who signs this letter is a liberal, Maher exclaimed. Barry, the fact that you, they call you a centrist or right winger. I mean, if a hip millennial Jewish bisexual girl living in San Francisco is not a liberal, who is these days? Bravo. Yes, I'll tell you what. I have a, I have a show at night. Maybe you've seen it. The Timcast IRL podcast. We do it live Monday through Friday at 8 p.m. Check it out this coming Monday if you haven't. I hang out with some friends, notably my buddy Adam. And how would you explain Adam and me? Look at me. I'm wearing jeans and a beanie. I skateboard. I play music. I am not a conservative, nor have I ever been. And the same is true for Adam. He's a hippie, vegan, musician, pro skateboarder, model, whatever. We are like regular urban liberals. We're, we weren't super politically active. And now you got, you, got, you got my boy Adam putting on a MAGA beanie. I kid you not. 
And he's still not a conservative. He's tired of things like this. And so am I. Now, for me, I've been watching this stuff for years. And so have you. And we all see it. Now, how crazy it is that people like, you know, Bill Maher, he's called it out. But many of them have stood by as this was growing and festering. I have to wonder, why couldn't Bill Maher call it out much sooner? Look, he called it out. He's calling it out now. And that's all that matters. Now is the most crucial time to be calling out the rise of this lunacy. But he's still several years behind the rest of us. If you watch me, then you know just how bad it's really gotten with all of these cities decrying racism as a public health crisis. I'm glad to see mainstream liberals like Bill Maher speaking up about something we were speaking up about speaking up against years ago. But at least it's happening. And maybe this will start to shock people into realizing just how bad it's getting. Of course, I don't think they'll necessarily vote for Trump, you know, and maybe Biden will win and things will get worse. But we'll see. This is a start. Weiss called the open letter a warning cry from inside the institutions and linked cancel culture to social murder. What we're trying to say with the letter and what Thomas did informing it was saying what's happening now with this growing culture of illiberalism is different from criticism. Thomas and I, you, Bill, we are used to criticism. Criticism is kosher in the work that we do. Criticism is great. What cancel culture is about is not criticism. It is about punishment. It is about making a person radioactive. It is about taking away their job. It's not just about punishing the sinner. It's not just about punishing the person for being insufficiently pure. It's about this sort of secondary boycott of people who would deign to speak to that person or appear on a platform with that person. And we see just very obviously where that kind of politics gets us. If conversation with people that we disagree with becomes impossible, what is the way that we solve conflict? It's violence. And they want it. For 60 plus days in Portland, they've been engaging in this. Start speaking out. Bill Maher, been a big fan for a long time, but you need to start reading actual news. Unfortunately for people like Bill, he got Covington wrong. People like Bill, they get Covington wrong. Why? Because they keep reading the same garbage sources where these people are writing the stories. Maybe you'll start doing some investigation. But you know what? Maybe I can't blame the man. You see, Bill Maher has been doing this a long time. Suppose at a certain point he just sat back and said, I'll have the staff source the news for me and then I'll write some jokes. Perhaps he's been following these news organizations that he knows and trusts that have become completely tainted by these cancel culture intersectional wackos. And now his information is tainted. And that's the name of the game, striking at the root. The far left goes for the institutions to convert them. So the unsuspecting liberal like Bill Maher reads the New York Times and believes all of it. And now he's vomiting all over himself in rage about the orange man. Calm down, dude. Yeah, Trump is bad. He's not that bad. Biden's way worse substantially worse. Why? These people will walk all over him. And it's only a matter of time before your show gets canceled. Why, Bill? Because they've been calling you alt-right for years. It's insane. Bill Maher, liberal as they come. Trump derangement syndrome. But yep, they literally call him alt-right. Weiss went on to claim that politics has become a religious identity for many Americans, pointing to the worship of those who support Trump 
and how on the left to be anything less than defund the police makes you something like a heretic. No, I am tired of this. I get it, Barry. Too many people are playing this game. The reality is the left has become dogmatic and intersectional, but I can literally produce videos over and over again where I'm like uh, 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 institutional racism is a bad thing. And systemic racism is a bad thing. And guess what? What do I hear from Trump supporters? Well, you know, Tim, I really disagree with you, but I appreciate the conversation. I think you're wrong. I have people commenting saying, Tim, you're so dumb. These things aren't real. And I say, well, you know, I humbly disagree. And we all get along. Isn't it amazing that this is my favorite example. Dave Rubin, a gay married man sitting with an Orthodox conservative Jew, Ben Shapiro. And they're like, wow, do we really disagree? But we believe in the country, our freedoms, and we get along. Stop acting like if you walked up to a diehard Trump supporter and told them you disagreed that they would start shrieking like a leftist. It's not true. It just is not true. I have been to Trump rallies. I have talked to Trump supporters. I I remember being in a line at a Trump rally and there's a guy wearing Trump everything and he's super excited saying Trump's the best. Don't you dare tell me otherwise. And I said, I disagree. And he was like, well, what do you disagree about? And I, you know, we had our conversation and he was like, well, look, man, I'll tell you what, I think you're wrong. And I'm here. And it was, it was a conversation. You know what happens when I go to these far left protests? They post pictures of my mom. They threaten me. They physically attack me. So to act like there's an equivalence here is just completely wrong. For 60 plus days, they've been throwing explosives at a federal courthouse. What did we get from Blue Lives Matter? They marched around waving little American flags and they went home. Has there been some violence on the right? You betcha. There has been. But listen, to conflate Trump supporters and Blue Lives Matter people with fringe extremists is totally incorrect. They're not even on the same plan. They're not even on the same uh, chessboard or, or battlefield. Totally out of sync with the rest, you know, with everybody else. Now, among the Blue Lives Matter and the Trump supporters, has there been violence? Oh, of course. Some, some fists get, th- you know, punches get thrown, some people fight, but it's lopsided. On the right, you might see one in 10 incidents, you know, one in 10 rallies, you'll get some violence. On the left, it's one in 10 where there's no violence. Okay, that's a little bit extreme. The point is, on the left, they entertain the far leftists. They say, respect a diversity of tactics. They allow Antifa to to mill about throwing explosives and starting fires. And they've been doing it for 60 plus days. Only recently did they actually stop the violence. So please don't give me this this, equivalence nonsense. I get it. There is a sort of religious, you know, kind of ideology among certain right wing individuals and pro Trump individuals. Many of them believe crazy things. But for the most part, where most of us stand in the in the middle, there is the the bigger tent is the right. Barry Weiss will be propped up by conservatives saying, good for you, Barry. Yet you would act like those Trump supporters would attack you or criticize you in the same way as the left is totally, completely incorrect. But you know what? I'm not here to, 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 you know, rag on, on you know, these individuals. I'm here to praise them. Like I said, give them respect. Uh, my politics are probably very similar to Bill's, to, to Barry, for instance, and, and, and Thomas. I probably agree greatly with them on many, many things. I probably agree with them more than I do conservatives. I've just been standing here longer waiting for you to show up, and I'm glad you've done it. Now, to be fair, Barry's been here for quite some time. I think she's fantastic. Bill has been calling them out. I'm glad to see they're mainstreaming this stuff and calling out the far left. Let's get more people to do it next. So bravo, Bill, Barry, and Thomas. I believe those are the people who actually were on the panel. I'm not sure if there was anyone else, but uh, okay. (laughs) If I missed anybody or someone else on the panel, you get credit too, but I think that was it. Let's see more conversations. All right. I got one more segment in just a few minutes. 
Stick around. I will see you all shortly. Ladies and gentlemen, the war with Patreon is escalating. And this could be the the equivalent of a nuclear bomb dropped in the culture war. This is going to get nuts. Sargon of Akkad and Lauren Southern have entered the fray declaring war on Patreon. Let me slow down and explain what's happening. But let me not bury the lead. What is about to come and what is underway right now, if the legal pundits are correct, notably Will Chamberlain and uh, Mike Cernovich, we may see the income of many high profile left wing channels completely stripped away. I'm talking about some of the biggest left wing podcasts that exist could lose all of their money. No joke. Let me take you back a couple of years to 2018, the end of the year, when Sargon Bacad himself got banned. We saw Lauren Southern banned shortly before this. But Sargon was the final straw. When Lauren got banned, people were like, yo, do I got to leave? Are you going to take my income away? For those that aren't familiar, Patreon is a service where you sign up. People can donate money to you through the platform. Well, Lauren Southern got banned and everyone got mad. But hey, pencils have erasers. So we said, if you if you reform and make sure people get fair warning, we'll stay. Shortly after, they banned Sargon of Akkad without notice for completely BS reasons. Apparently on someone else's live stream somewhere else a year earlier, he said the N-word ironically to insult white supremacists. They banned him for this. Everyone then jumped ship. Not everybody, but a lot of people. Several high profile podcasts associated with the intellectual dark web and conservatives left the platform out of fear that they would lose their income too. That brings us to what's happening today. Patreon has just lost a major court ruling, which means they have to front the legal fees and arbitration, the arbitration fees and pay legal fees on a hundred or so arbitration claims. This means Patreon will be on the hook for millions of dollars up front and they are not, they, they don't have it. They don't. Court, court's final ruling against Patreon opens legal avenue to defend against deplatforming. Patreon now has to pay arbitration fees that could total millions of dollars. Mike Cernovich noted, if Sargon of Akkad's fans filed arbitration claims, this would be the end of Patreon. Why? Sargon had thousands of fans giving him money. When he got banned, they all quit. They now have a legal claim against Patreon for severing their, their ties to Sargon. Their, uh, the argument brought forward now is, I believe, tortious interference. They're arguing that by banning. So here's what happened. A comedian named Owen Benjamin was apparently very offensive. A lot of people don't like him. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm very careful with how the media frames things. So I don't know anything about the guy. But he got booted for hate speech. 72 of his fans filed arbitration claims. Patreon tried to stop this because if it goes through, they've got to pay. They've got to front the cost of arbitration. So that means they'll be on the hook for millions. Sargon, however, had thousands of fans. They could all file the same claims, arguing that by banning Sargon, they severed a third party agreement, tortious interference. They may not have a claim, but it's a reasonable arbitration. Therefore, Patreon's going to be on the hook for these millions of dollars. If thousands of people now from Sargon of Akkad, who announced this in a video, if these people all file claims, Patreon could be on the hook for 50 to 100 million dollars if thousands of people file these claims. Listen, with only about 100 or so people right now, Mike Cernovich says 5, 10, 15, 20 million dollars because of arbitration costs and because of legal fees. Throw in several thousand people 
as well as Lauren Southern's fans. And this could be the end of Patreon. But here is the big play. First, let me show you the breaking news. Lauren Southern says, if you were a patron of mine before I was booted off the platform and you have a deleted your account and b not used it since you since the uh, and not use it since the recent lawsuits, do not log in, delete your account. As long as you haven't acquiesced to new terms, you can file arbitration. If you fall into this category, you can file yourself. But I've also spoken to legal counsel and would like to connect everyone. Send me an email. And then she posts her email, laurensoutherndocs at gmail.com. So for those that were patrons of Lauren who quit the platform before January 1st, 2020, you can join in this arbitration. Sargon noted the exact same thing. It costs money. Now, here's what this means. You may have heard me talk about this the other day when I mentioned the news. I am not a legal expert. This could all be bunk. If you think Michael Cernovich is correct, then it may not be. And I defer to him because he lives in California and he's a lawyer. And he said straight up when Patreon filed a lawsuit against Owen Benjamin's fans, he said they're going to lose this suit because it is clear cut California law. What is happening right now? These social justice bros started laughing and mocking Owen Benjamin because they're leftists. Lo and behold, Mike was right. And if Mike Cernovich is continues to be right, and I got to be honest, the guy's successful. You got reason to believe him. We may see the end of Patreon. And do you know what this means? I'd like to show you what this means. I bring you now to Graftrion. The collateral damage of the culture war will be, I mean, there's no words to describe it. I, I likened it to essentially a, a nuclear bomb being dropped on a city. But it's well beyond that. Take a look at this website, Graftrion. I've just gone to Graftrion. It shows us the top Patreon creators and how much money they've made and who they are. First, the number one creator is True Crime Obsessed. They have 37,000 patrons. If Patreon goes belly up due to the extent of these legal costs, which like I said, if, if, if Cernovich is saying, let's, let's go low end, okay? Let's go low end. Cernovich is saying that with about 100 people, 5, 10, 15, 20 million, let's say five, let's say it's $5 million in legal fees plus fronting arbitration costs, 100 people. Sargon had a couple thousand, I believe, patrons. Lauren Southern did too. Okay, multiply that 100 by 40 and... Uh, <laughs> What are we looking at? Hundreds of millions of dollars. It could be wrong. Maybe it's not that bad. Maybe Patreon can front the money. I'm not sure. The legal costs are hard costs. When it comes to arbitration, they're going to front the cost of arbitration. They may actually win. Maybe they'll get that money back. I doubt it. The people who are filing these claims probably don't have the money to give. And Patreon will have to spend a lot of money to try and get that money back. But hiring the lawyers filing the paperwork is going to be hard costs they lose. Patreon is about to experience death by a thousand cuts. Each one of these individuals is going to force Patreon to pay legal fees they will never get back, period. Patreon can try to go after legal fees for each and one of these each one of these cases, but guess what? They got to pay the lawyers for that too. So they'll try and claim larger amounts. I'll tell you what, man, you're going to go after a dude who works at McDonald's. That's what we're talking about. The guy who was a patron of Sargon of Akkad, who makes, you know, 30, 40,000 a year and does not have the money to pay Patreon, ain't going to be able to pay anything, even if they win. And they're going to laugh about it. And Patreon will 
look ridiculous going after all of these people to recover the cost they know they'll never get. Take a look at who's about to get. So so listen, if Patreon explodes because of this barrage from arbitration claims, Chapo Trap House, which is the third largest Patreon on Patreon, $158,000 a month gone. Yagami Yato, I don't know who that is. ASMR, gone. This channel, I can't read. Creating Knowledge, gone. Dark Cookie, gone. Brandon Stanton, Conscious Kid, TMG. Amanda Palmer, gone. Kurtzka Saget. These are not all leftists, but I tell you this. Right-wing channels left. In, uh, 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 intellectual dark web ch- channels left because they were like, I'm not going to risk my income. The leftists felt safe. And I warned all of them, you, you gotta have a backup. All of these channels. So you've got the Cumboys, MXR Mods, True Anon Podcast, Pet Foolery, CGP Gray, not another D&D. These are not political. We are the last podcast on the left, perhaps is political, not your contrapoints. Their entire worlds will implode if this happens. So I've even warned some people uh, you know, involved. I said, listen, H Bomber guy, H Bomber guy's leftist. I don't know who some of these other guys are, but I'll tell you what, man, a lot of the anti-SJW, anti-feminist conservatives, they jumped ship. Now check it out. There may be one out for Patreon in this. Well, uh, there's a couple. A large nonprofit may jump in to save Patreon, realizing that people like H Bomber Guy and ContraPoints will lose the entirety of their income or like 90% of it. This is 12,543 patrons for, for ContraPoints. If we compare this to the last podcast on the left, she's probably making sixty, seventy thousand $70,000 per month. These are wealthy people. What happens if Patreon gone? All of these creators are without an income. A major, major strike against, for the most part, the left with insane collateral damage against innocent bystanders. There is, there is a potential safety net. We could see some nonprofits rush to Patreon's aid in an effort to defend against the onslaught perhaps it'll work. They might need hundreds of millions of dollars to do this. They won't get back. There is another potential option. Patreon could seize $19 million from their users. Yeah. Unfortunately, the 19 million still isn't enough to fend off all these arbitration claims. As of right now, on the low end, with Cernovich saying 5, 10, 15, 20 million dollars for just Owen Benjamins alone, then five times 40 you see where we're going. What if it was 10 times 40? $400 million? What if it was 20 times 40? Yeah, that's not going to be, uh, that's not going to be something they can just pay. Their only chance is that they hit the low end. But I got to tell you, man, maybe this is all wishful thinking. And I don't mean, I don't necessarily mean wishful thinking. I don't want to see these people lose their income. Look at this. From we're talking about people who make, you know, like CGP Gray. That channel's great. CGP Gray is awesome. He's going to lose his, his job. Kurt Skaseget is awesome. I don't know anything about Amanda Palmer or, or a lot of these other, other channels. But true crime? These channels seem fine. Why should they be destroyed because of this? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Jack Conti, the CEO of Patreon, decided we will join the fray. They saw a culture war and he said, I'm jumping in. And I'm going to jump in for them. And now he will reap the rewards. And every single one of these accounts that stays on Patreon is going to lose everything. I'll tell you what. Cernovich may be wrong. I am not a legal expert. I don't know where this goes. But Cernovich called it. 
He said, this is what's going to happen. He was right the first time. I'm willing to bet he's right now. This is a warning to all of you who have Patreon accounts. It may be in the next several months that with all of these arbitration claims being filed, they cannot stop it. Nothing will. $800 million? And that's it. The axe comes down. And if you have an account and your income is tied to Patreon, you're gone. That's it. No more income. You were warned. It doesn't mean get off Patreon. It's fine if you want to use it. I don't know what you should do. I'm just telling you. If Cernovich is right, Sargon and Lorne have just joined the fray and their fans are a coming. This could be the end. I'll leave it there. Next segment will be tomorrow at 10 a.m. Thanks for hanging out and I will see you all next time.